Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. You gotta snag Hefty's Ultra Strong Trash Bag. Always at an ultra low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. It has Arm & Hammer odor control, so your nose and your wallet will be... Happy, happy, happy. Hefty Ultra Strong Trash Bags. Hefty Strong, all day long. Hefty, hefty, hefty. Introducing the SD Podcast channel, your one stop source for all types of podcasts. We are always on the look for new podcasts to join our channel. If there is any topic you would like to discuss, contact us now. We could be reached on all social media such as Facebook, Twitter, and or Instagram. You can also contact us by email or leave us a voicemail at 516-570-9248. So make sure to contact us now so you can start your podcast soon. And now, a beauty production presents the most awesome podcast to ever embrace a pair of headphones, Sarasso and the Beard. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Sarasso and Jose the Talking Beard Rivera. And welcome to Sarasso and the Beard Podcast, episode 18. I am Nick Sarasso. And I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. And Jose, we had a little bit of break with the Christmas holiday, and we are back recording episode 18, and we have a lot to talk about this week because... The college football playoffs beginning just on January 1st. Very exciting as well. Week 17 in the NFL playoffs. A couple teams still fighting for playoff opportunities. And with Christmas, there's always NBA talk. And we got a few things to talk about in the NBA. So definitely some exciting times and a lot to talk about here today. Yeah, again, we're getting to that point of the season where kind of all these sports start to accumulate. Um, you know, you have the football playoffs starting to get, uh, get going soon. Uh, basketball really from Christmas Day on is when it's really when people start to really pay attention to the basketball season sometimes because that's when you get the heated rivalry matchups and now you start to see which teams are contenders and pretenders and now of course also as we said before the NCAA football playoffs are starting to kick up so it's a very exciting time a lot of action a lot of things to talk about um, so for every sports fan is a little bit of, you know it's a little bit for everybody here yeah and as always as, as a fun little question before we begin how was your Christmas as well uh, it was pretty good. I can't complain. A lot of good rest. Uh, um, you know, a lot of the games did disappoint, though, on Christmas Day, I got to say. Um, I was hoping for a little bit, um, you know, more action. Some of them were a little flat. But nonetheless, it was okay. How was yours? Yeah, it was always great to see family. Uh, got a couple good hoodies to wear when I go to another uh, poker tournament. So, uh, no, nah, it's Christmas. It's always time for family, and that's what I really enjoy about it. But Let's not delve too far in the past. Let's focus on the college football playoffs. We've been hyping up our predictions for a while now, and let's jump right into it with first matchup between Clemson, who's ranked number one, and Alabama, who's ranked number four. And we had a few issues with Alabama getting into the college football playoffs when we last spoke with them. But now the two teams face each other in a rematch of the last few years except this won't be in the championship this will be in the first semifinals between these two teams so jose take us through the matchup who do you like in this one well it's funny cuz like you said both of us didn't think alabama should even be in the playoff picture but we all know they were going to be in the playoffs because it is about ratings at the end of the day and you know a lot of people can argue you can't have a college football playoffs without alabama you know that could be debated for another day on whether Alabama should get in or not. I mean, it could be an ongoing debate forever, really. But I think this is actually an interesting matchup because even though Alabama didn't deserve to get in, to me, Clemson and Alabama are always the two favorites to win it all. So what happens when you take the two favorites 
and you match them up against each other in the first round. Obviously, somebody's going to lose, and somebody's going to advance on. So, to me, this is an important matchup because whoever loses, um, you know, whoever's on the other side of the bracket when, when you know, in Oklahoma, and um, I'm drawing a blank on the other team. That's great. Georgia. 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 <laughs> so, Oklahoma and Georgia are, you know, are counting their blessings here because you're going to eliminate one of the top playoff favorites just in the first round alone between Clemson and Alabama. Again, even though Alabama's the fourth seed, to me, Clemson and Alabama are the two favorites to win it all um, because of just how stacked they are and how well they play. So both Georgia and Oklahoma really are you know, probably feeling lucky that one of these teams is going to get eliminated in the first round. They only have to worry about one of them. With that being said, if I had to pick somebody to count on, I'm going to pick Clemson. Why? Because Clemson's done it before. It is a third straight year that they're facing Alabama. They faced them twice in the championship games the past two years, won one, lost one. They won last year. I just think Clemson's a little bit more well-equipped um, to go on another title run here. I think Clemson is slowly becoming um, the new Alabama. It's the place where players want to go. Um, they're a team that's going to be consistently in the playoffs. I love Dabo Sweeney. I think his coaching style is impeccable. Um, I think he truly understands his players. and not just numbers uh, on the back of a jersey to him. I think he actually cares about each and every one of his players. And I just think Clemson's the hotter team right now. You're talking about for Alabama. You know, This is a team that they didn't know if they were going to get in or not. So I wonder where their mentality is. I know it's been a couple weeks off since they announced the selection, so they probably have had a lot of time to get back on track. But for Alabama, you know, for the first time in a long time, they might be playing with in the back of their mind with that that chip that says we have to prove ourselves that we're still a top school program. And sometimes when you play with your back against the wall, it can do wonders for you. But when you're facing off against a top team like Clemson, I think that might do more damage than good. Um, so I just have Clemson overall. I think they're a the better team right now. Then Alabama, even though they're both a favorite to win it all, I'm rolling with Clemson in the first round. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on Clemson, and yeah, a lot of the credit goes to Kelly Bryan, quarterback. You're talking about replacing Deshaun Watson, and Watson was the only quarterback where you and I both felt he was the only one that was NFL ready to start in uh, professional football games. And Kelly Bryant, he's been just as good as Deshaun Watson was last year. 67.4% of his passes completed. Deshaun Watson last year, 67% just as well. Um, 2,600 passing yards, 13 touchdowns this year. Added to that another 11 touchdowns as a rusher, over 600 rushing yards. He's averaging just as much on a rushing yard per carry, as Deshaun Watson was, just a shade under, but still you're seeing a ton of success rushing the football by Bryant. And the bottom line, this is going to come down to, in my mind, not just on Bryant, but it's really going to be that Clemson's defense matched against Alabama's offensive line. And when you take into consideration that you know Clemson leads the nation in sats, they have four future NFL players on this defense, Dexter Lawrence, Austin Bryant. Uh, and it just goes even further in. I really like Clemson for those reasons. And Alabama, we've spoken about this so many times, they just have not faced, in my mind, any good teams. And when, yes, Nick Saban is a fantastic coach. Yes, he's the best coach in college football. And if there's one reason why to pick Alabama, it's because of him. But this team in general has not faced any team like Clemson this season, has not faced any defense like Clemson this season. 
And when they did face any team that was close enough to them, it was Auburn. And Auburn beat Alabama. And what did Clemson do when they played Auburn in the second week of the season? They won 14-6. to six. They won 14 to 6. And you look at Clemson after they faced a ranked opponent of Auburn. They won each of those five ranked opponents by more than 30 points they scored in each of those games. You just got to take those and look at it and say, hey, I like Clemson in that matchup because of these reasons. They do extremely well when they faced ranked opponents. Alabama's never seen a team like Clemson this season. And at the bottom line, this is a Clemson team that's been there the last two years. We talked about always the experience of Alabama, but Clemson's just as experienced when you think of it, and they're coming off as a favorite that's viewed as an underdog versus an Alabama team, and I think that's even more fuel to the fire when you talk about a number one seed Clemson that's played fantastic this season. In the second game, well, technically the first game because – Oklahoma versus Georgia is the first scheduled time game, and then after that is Clemson versus Alabama. But I wanted to get Clemson-Alabama first because of the fact that these two teams have had a history and with that. But Oklahoma and Georgia, and Jose, we gave you the floor first, so I want to try and jump in for my pick on this one first, if you don't mind. Uh, No, go ahead. (laughs) uh, So, obviously, we always know about Oklahoma and Baker Mayfield. I mean, the numbers speak for himself. He won the Heisman, 4,300 yards, 41 touchdowns. He even had five rushing touchdowns. You love that his favorite target's a tight end, and that's always to go off of. And the Sooners, they lead the nation in in yards per game, over 580. They're top in the lead at passing yards. But I'm going to take the flip on this and say – I'm taking Georgia in this game because of the fact that Georgia's rushing has been phenomenal this season. And Oklahoma hasn't really faced many teams that are great when running the football. And when they have, they've really struggled. Oklahoma's only faced three teams in the top 50 in rushing offense, and Georgia ranks 11th. And when it comes to those type of dams where Oklahoma faced those three teams— over 600 rushing yards allowed. So you're talking about a ton of rushing yards allowed. Oklahoma love it gives up. And I think that's what really has to be defined in this matchup. It's not, in my mind, Georgia containing Baker Mayfield. It's going to be how Oklahoma contains these Georgia running bats because they have three players with over 500 rushing yards, each averaging six yards per carry. I like Georgia in this one. And... Another stat that stands out to me is taking Oklahoma. They're two and seven in neutral sites, whereas Georgia has been great lately in non-conference games, in uh, bowl games. So I really like Georgia in this matchup, and I'm going to take Georgia playing Clemson between these two teams. What about yeah, you? Yeah, well, on it? I'm actually going to take the flip side. I'm going with Oklahoma in this one, and I disagree with you when you. It's not going to be about Georgia containing Baker Mayfield. It's going to be all about Georgia trying to contain Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield is a character on and off the field. His energy and his charisma really transfers out to the rest of his team as well, too. And you can't argue with the stats. He won the Heisman for a reason. I just think this is a guy that when he steps onto the field, he can make a lot of things happen. And, you know, looking at the draft class, everybody's talking about Josh Rosen, you know, uh, Darnold and everything. 
similar to what we said about Deshaun Watson last year, I really feel like Baker Mayfield, in my eyes, is one of the very few quarterbacks that are actually NFL-ready. Um, if a team were to draft him, I would let him take over uh, the position right away without a doubt in my mind. Georgia's run game has been really impressive, as you pointed to three players with a crap ton of yardage to their name, and Oklahoma <laughs> has struggled <laughs> Oklahoma has struggled with a lot of stuff. But to me, when Baker Mayfield hits the field, special things happen, and he's really the reason why Oklahoma is where they are today. He puts that team on his back, and he's not afraid to show it. So I expect Oklahoma to still run with this with Baker Mayfield carrying them into the championship, and I think it's going to be Clemson against uh, Oklahoma in the finals. So right now you have Clemson versus Oklahoma. I have Clemson versus Georgia, and of course we're going to talk about the winners when it comes to uh, when it comes closer to the championship game. But even still, give your prediction on going further, Clemson versus Oklahoma. Then who would you have winning that game? Well, I'm going to have Clemson taking it all for the repeat. Um, since they won it last year as well, too. Again, Clemson, to me, is becoming that new Alabama where, you know, this might be their division, this might be their playoff picture, this might be their football league, and they're just stamping down their flag onto the field. Um, again, Dabo Sweeney is an incredible coach, as you alluded to. They have another good QB in the system right now, taking over for Deshaun Watson. So, again, this might not be a Deshaun Watson with a spectacular quarterback, which he is, but it might be that just Clemson has a good program as well in place to help these players succeed. These players respond to controversy. They play great um, defense late in games, and this team knows when to step it up um, when they have to. Again, as I said, Baker Mayfield has been carrying Oklahoma all year long, but eventually that's going to run out sometimes, and I think it runs out in the final game. Uh, I think Clemson's just too good. They're too experienced, and they've been there before, um, as opposed to someone like Baker Mayfield who hasn't. Uh, so I really think Clemson has all the tools to really make this college football playoff picture and the college football playoff scenario or the Liga, I should say, um, to really make it theirs. And again, I think they're going to be the new Alabama and really run off and win a couple titles, make a couple championship appearances. So I think Clemson claims their second in a row um, over Oklahoma this year. Yeah, I have Clemson beating Georgia, if uh, my predictions hold true. Uh, you know, again, Clemson, one of the best defenses in the league. And in my mind, whether it take on a great offensive line of Alabama, Baker Mayfield and Oklahoma Sooners, or Georgia and that fantastic run game, you still, I love defense when you consider it all through. They have great defense. They have great future NFL players that play defense for Clemson. And then mix it all together, and Kelly Bryant and a team that's been there these last few years, there's a reason this team is number one. There's a reason that they only had one loss this season. And when it came to the big games, they played fantastic. And I expect them to play incredible in these two games when they when they play Alabama, when they beat Alabama, and then when, whether they play Georgia or Oklahoma, I have Clemson winning as well, like you said. And I completely agree with it. it it's not um, take anything away from Nick Saban and Alabama, but Clemson has been the most dominant team these last few years. They nearly won the championship two years ago against Alabama. They won last year against Alabama. They're the number one ranked team in the country this season. They're the only team with one loss. And on on top of everything, you know, they're still the best team at the end of the day. And I think they're going to prove it yet again when they win the championship this year as well. Uh, with that, we're, again, we're going to talk about a little bit more of the college playoffs when 
come next podcast episode in episode 19 when we talk about the two winners of the games, our takes from the games, and of course, who we will have in the championship as well. But at the moment, Jose has Clemson and Oklahoma winning the two matchups and Clemson beating Oklahoma in the championship. I have Clemson and Georgia and then Clemson beating Georgia in the championship. And Jose, let's talk about some NBA because we haven't really talked about it in a while. And let's try and talk about a couple little topics. And I want to start with, of course, we can't talk about the NBA without talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors. The two teams played each other on Christmas Day. The Warriors won 99-92. to They didn't have Curry. The Cavs still don't have Isaiah Thomas. Kevin Love with 31 points, 18 rebounds. Kevin Durant, 25 points. Draymond Green, a triple-double. Jose, what is your biggest takeaway from that game? Well, my biggest takeaway from this game is that, um, you know, you're still seeing two teams that are not at full health here. And it was a great game. As you said, Kevin Love really stepped it up, which is what I was keeping my eye on. My biggest thing going into this game was who's going to step up into this matchup, especially when Kyrie Irving's no longer on the Cavaliers, right? Um, because when you face the Warriors, when you're the Cavaliers, it really is all hands on deck, right? Everybody has to pitch in. And especially without Kyrie Irving now, Kevin Love really has to pick up a lot of the slack, which he did. 31 points, 18 rebounds, you'll take that. Um, Kevin Love did his part. Now, again, um, it's really hard to take away a lot of things from this matchup because these two teams aren't fully healthy. Um, you know, is this a different game when Isaiah Thomas is healthy? Is this a different game when Steph Curry is healthy? Um, you know, those are two big guys to be missing from your lineup here, especially for the Cavs, but especially also for the Warriors too. Um, so for the Cavaliers, uh, you know, what happens when Isaiah Thomas comes back? Does that give you the boost that they need? But also, again, I think the Cavaliers, what it points out again and time and time and again, this is the common theme, that the Cavaliers need more of a supporting cast. The Warriors can beat you in so many ways, even if Curry's out or if, if Durant is out. You know, they still have Klay Thompson, still have Draymond Green, but they also have all these role players on the bench that's bought into this system, that's bought into this plan on how to play Warriors basketball, which is really what makes them so good besides the big four that they have. You know, they have a system in place to make guys like Nick Young, you know, David West, to make guys like that seem like superstars. Steve Kerr has a way of, of you know, game planning and really utilizing their strengths. The Cavaliers need more of a supporting cast to help out LeBron James and Kevin Love. And, you know, even when Isaiah Thomas is healthy, when those guys take a seat on the bench, who else is really there for the Cavaliers to rely on? And time and time and again, I feel like that's a big area of weakness for the Cavaliers, and it still proves true. Um, but my biggest takeaway from this game is I really want to see these two teams go at it when everybody is healthy, because you never know. I, 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 think it's, I think it's an even closer game. I don't know about a different result, but I think it's a closer game if Isaiah Thomas and Steph Curry are on the court and healthy. Yeah, I'm looking at it, and the Warriors are still the best team in the league. That, at the end of the day, that's really my takeaway. You're talking about a team that without Curry goes on, plays the Cleveland Cavaliers, who we've been considering the second-best team in the NBA, and defensively, you hold a Cavs team to 32% shooting in a game. Even when they get 19 offensive rebounds, the Warriors have been incredible defensively when it comes to blocks. They had eight in that game. They had seven last night against the Jazz. They, Kevin Durant has been amazing defensively. I think he's second in the league in blocks per game. And at the end of the day, again, the Warriors, 28-7, and seven, with the best record in the NBA yet again. 
they do it both on, at home and on the road, 14-3 and three on the road, 14-4 and four at home. And I know I'm naming a lot of stuff that wasn't even in the game, but I think that's what it comes down to. It. We're, we're, we're seeing the same two teams again, and, and like you said, the, no Isaiah Thomas, no Steph Curry, and it's going to be extremely exciting if these two teams or when these two teams face each other in the NBA Finals yet again, and, and they're fully healthy. I think that's what it's going to come down to. I think we're seeing the fact that uh, LeBron James does not have another shooter, and I think that's what he's really missing. Kevin Love, like you said, he showed up. But LeBron, seven turnovers. There's not really anybody he can turn to at times. Uh, Yeah, obviously, I like their bench. It looks a little bit better, but they still need that extra store. Isaiah Thomas is that guy for the Cleveland Cavaliers, but they're certainly waiting for him, and I think that's what's really going to have to be the difference maker. But you're talking about a team, again, the Warriors still didn't have one of their best players. One of the five best players in the NBA the Warriors were without, and they're still winning against the Cleveland Cavaliers by seven points, and they're still holding the Cavs to under 100 at 92 points. And at the end of the day, it's it's the Warriors. It's the Warriors' lead. The Warriors are the best team in the NBA, and I don't think there's anybody that can argue it when they go ahead and they beat the Cavaliers 99-92 to without Curry. So, like always, it, uh, we're from New York. You're in Brooklyn. I'm in Staten Island. And the New York Knicks, they lost last night 92-87 to against the Chicago Bulls. It's their first road game of a three-game road trip. But the Knicks, early lead in the game, they had a 15-point lead at one point. They're 17-7 and now on a three-game losing streak. They're just outside of the playoffs, sitting at that ninth spot in the Eastern Conference. Uh, but Jose, the Knits are 15 and sits at home. However, they're two and 11 on the road, and that one of three games on the road that's about to finish the month of December that does not change because in January, 12 of their Nets 16 games are on the road. So essentially, you're looking at 14 of their Nets 18 games are road games. Seven of them on a, a are on a road trip in 11 days, and. Is this the point where you're a little concerned where this season could quickly get away from them with how poorly they've been on the road thus far? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to – yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm a little concerned. I, I, I use the word concern hesitantly, though, because I still don't think the Knicks are going to make the playoffs. I eventually, I do overall think the Knicks will just miss. Um, I think they're good enough to be a 6th, 7th, 8th seed because um, of the way the East is stacked up, but I don't see the Knicks making the playoffs – um, I just think they have too many guys who are overperforming at this point. Um, I think Michael Beasley, you know, he eventually he's going to cool off and come back down to earth. You know, Ennis Cantor is not going to have 20-plus rebounds um, every single game. Uh, at the end of the day, Porzingis is still by himself, and the Knicks is still a team that's building. Well, I think what they're doing right now is great. Um, and it's great to see them actually winning games and not just tanking, right? Because if you're the Knicks, you can easily say, hey, let's tank and, uh, and get a top-five pick here um, with the way this season's going. Or with you know because you know the Knicks are not going to beat the Cavaliers or the Warriors or not or the the Celtics to get past the East anyways. Um, but if you're in the Knicks, you appreciate the effort that they're going out there and still playing and they're still fighting. But going back to their road game scenario, yeah, I mean it does concern me because that matters. Um, good teams win at home and on the road. You know you don't see many teams that have a great home record, even though it's good to have a great home record. You don't see 
a lot of teams that only have a good home record go win NBA championships or go do great things. You know, you have to do both. You have to balance out on both. Why? Because come playoff time, if you don't have home field advantage and you're playing a seven-game series and you only have three games at home, how are you going to win that fourth game? You need to go out there and and win on the road as well, too. It's what the good teams do. So for the Knicks, um, this next stretch uh, with, you know, 14 or was it 12 of their 16? 12 of their 16 in January, not including their final two games in December, which are also road games. But, yeah, I mean, it's, that, it's a ton. Yeah, that stretch could really make or break um, the Knicks' playoff, folks, honestly. I know it's only January, but you're talking about a big chunk of their schedule being on the road, and their record is not just bad. It's borderline pathetic um, when it's all said and done on the road. Um, so if you're a Knicks fan and you're hoping that the Knicks can maybe squeeze into the playoffs just to make an appearance, um, this stretch coming up can be do or die for them. Yeah, you're talking about... They're 17-17, and we are talking about essentially their next 18 games, so an entire 33% of their whole new schedule after that point, but 2-11 on the road, and when you look at those two games, they beat the Brooklyn Nets earlier this month, and their other road win was against the Cleveland Cavaliers in the Cavs' first five games of the season. Now, I'm not going to make a big deal about that one, but it's just to show you, like, they, they don't have road wins. They, they haven't beat any road teams, especially when you take the fact of, of not including the first five games of the season. They're then one and nine on the road lately, and it just doesn't look good. Especially when you look at right now, the Knicks shot four of 23 from the three-point line. And they, they shot no better on Christmas against... The 76ers, they shot on the three-point line again. They had four mates in 15 attempts. So you're talking about a team that's 8 for 38 in their last two games at the three-point line. That's not going to get it done. No matter what NBA team you are, if you're shooting 20% or lower at a three-point game, you're just not going to win. And... To think that it's going to get easier as road games continue, as you continue to travel, when you're doing a seven-game road trip in 11 days, that's going to be physically demanding on all these players. It's, it's going to be a lot for them. And it's tough to say that this is... We're talking about January and midway through January, which could be their make-or-break point. But this certainly could be it, depending on how they do on the road, because they have not proven it so far. Uh, another Eastern Conference team I'm really interested in is the Milwaukee Bucks. And you and I both had them as that really team to look out for in the Eastern Conference as an up-and-coming team this year that was going to really break out. And this could be a good point for Milwaukee, because 11 of their next 12 games are against teams over 500. 10 of those 12 against Eastern Conference teams with two games apiece against the Washington Wizards, Miami Heat, and Indiana Pacers. And when you look at those three teams, that's the five, six, and eight seed in the playoffs right now where the Milwaukee Bucks are seven. So these are all playoff teams meeting each other at the midway point with Milwaukee having two games apiece against all of them. And I was like, can the Bucks get through these next 12 games really ahead on the top of these 12 or possibly move up in the standings or 
are they going to be a team that kind of loses a lot of these games? And we kind of lose some of our high opinions on the butts because of that. Well, I do think they're going to prevail, and I think they will move up in the standings. I think this is one of those scenarios where you might see the Bucks, you know, run off and go on a good run here. Um, and, you know, for the Bucks, they have the talent to do it. You have one of the best young players in the game right now in Atentacumpo, if you, if you don't consider him the best already. Um, you know, Chris Middleton looks fantastic. Remember, he was out almost all of last year. He looks good this year. Bledsoe seems to be fitting in nicely with the new team. They still have Brogdon, who's a nice little piece. And again, even guys like John Henson are stepping up and doing their thing. You know, again, this team, it's coached well. I know saying that's ironic because Jason Kidd's the coach. They didn't do well here in Brooklyn. But they're a well-coached team. And this team has all the talent in the world to do things that are spectacular on any given night. Um, the question is, can they put it all together? And even though I think they do, um, it's kind of like a splitting image of the Knicks where it's like this stretch won't make or break their season. But I think it will show us if they're contenders or pretenders. I think the Bucks will make the playoffs no matter what, whether it's the number three seed or the number eight seed. But with the Bucks, this stretch is going to show us, can we actually, like you said, can we trust them? Do they deserve to have this high opinion of us, uh, high opinion from us of them? Because honestly, the Bucks have been a team that a lot of people are like, you know, watch out for the Bucks. They're up and coming. We've been saying that for the past couple of years now. And we, they haven't really done anything with it. And again, a lot of that's because of injury. Middleton was out almost all of last year. Jabari Parker has always been hurt. You know, Parker's never really been on the court full-time to show his true potential, even though we know he could be a superstar player. You know, Tentacumpo is by himself sometimes. So, you know, they never really had a great point guard to help lead the charge. Now they do in Bledsoe. So the thing with the Bucks is pretty soon they're going to be running out of excuses. And if they keep putting up, you know, this not-as-expected product, you know, because we expect the Bucks to be better than what they're even playing right now. People are going to start to lose hope in them. People are going to start to lose faith in them. And their stock of this, you know, sleeper team will go down eventually. And again, I think this is a great test for them. Because like you said, they're facing the Raptors. They're facing the Wizards. These are teams that were playoff teams last year. They may not be championship caliber teams, but these are still teams that you might meet up with in the playoffs. So this is not a make or break scenario for the Bucks, But this is a scenario where we're going to look at them and say, okay, we can expect them to either you know, be a championship contending team in the future or continue to have high hopes for them. Or we can look at them and be like, you know what, they're just a team with great players, but they're a pretty mediocre team. You know, this is really almost to say it's not on Giannis or, or Middleton or Bloodsoe because Giannis is averaging, um, I'm skipping the last name right now, uh, averaging nearly 30 points a game. Middleton's averaging 20. Bloodsoe's averaging 18. Their so-called bid three of you know, small forward, power forward, and point guard, they're getting it done. At the end of the day, there's no complaining when you get three guys that are averaging nearly 20-plus points or 20 points each uh, from you. I, it's really on a lot of uh, the bench especially. Uh, the big men, you have to get a little bit of extra from the remaining players, but your main star power guys of Middleton and Giannis, they're getting it done all the time. I'm, I've been huge on Middleton, just like you, uh, from the start of the season. I, I looked at him and said, if he he stays healthy, the Butts are going to be good at this point because they'll have more of a complete roster. And then they go and they trade for Blood, so and they get that point guard they so desperately needed. It, it seems like Milwaukee can get all the right pieces at the moment. They've had a little bit of some tough matchups and. 
you know, even you take the last couple of games, you versus the Chicago Bulls. Well, the Bulls are eight and two in their last ten games, and they're the best ten games in the Eastern Conference in that span at eight and two. Uh, they played back to back games against Charlotte. Well, it's rare a team splits. Uh, it's rare a team goes two and zero in those type of matchups. So there, there's a reason why the Milwaukee Bucks are have a two game losing streak right now. But defensively, that's what the Bucks need to do a little bit better of a job than of late. They've allowed 115 points, exactly 115 points, in four of their last seven games. I mean, that's not going to get the job done. You can't be allowing 115, 116 points each game, and it's bet to win. So they got to play a little bit better defensively, but offensively, this team looks very good, and I, I'm expecting great games when you're talking about playing the Wizards twice, playing the Heat twice, playing the Pacers, playing the Raptors. Uh, I think it's going to be an exciting time for Milwaukee Bucks fans. I think, as well, for NBA fans in general, I think this is a great time, because I think, just like me and you, a lot of people expect the Milwaukee Bucks to be a little bit higher than they were last season, to be more of a playoff contender this year. And these type of games right here, these next 12 games when you're playing over 500 teams, that can be your big confidence moment. Where if you're able to go 8-4 and four, and then you're saying, hey, you know, we're just as good, if not better, than these teams because of how well we've done lately. So I think this could be a great confidence moment for Milwaukee. I think they do get ahead on these 12 games. And I think the high hopes and the high expectations continue for the Milwaukee Bucks as well. So it's Week 17 in the NFL. I want to jump into some NFL talks. But before we get into those playoff games, let's start with James Harrison and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Harrison was released by the Steelers, uh, the outside lineman, and if you don't know who he is, just look up one of his workout videos. I mean, my God. Uh, when he, I don't know if you've seen some of these videos, Jose, but they are incredible what he's doing when he's working out. And he talks about like he's always wearing like a sweatshirt and sweatpants because he doesn't want to intimidate anybody else in the gym with him because of how big he is. But you look at what he's lifting all the time. It's, it's incredible. Uh, and you know he's in great shape. Uh, but the Steelers decide to release him. And then within... You know, the next 24 hours, he's signed by the New England Patriots. So the Patriots are 12 and three with the number one seed. The Steelers are 12 and two, three with the number two seed. And the constant question has been, you know, as Bill Belichick asked James Harrison about the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, was uh, anything defensively about the team or anything offensively about the team? Because Harrison's been with the team forever, and he's gonna know all the plays. He's gonna know the system, and. Now you look at it and say, was, it, was this a bad move by the Steelers to release Harrison? No, not at all. I mean, and it's being painted that way that the Steelers just kind of let him go. But when you listen to a lot of the guys talk in the locker room, a lot of the other Pittsburgh Steelers players, they kept saying that Harrison wanted out. They said Harrison kept forcing his way out. And honestly, I'm a big fan of if you want to be here, then there's the door. We're not going to force you to stay here. We're not going to force you to be a Steeler if you don't want to be. I think... The Steelers definitely knew that he could have signed with the Patriots, but they weren't going to let that stop them. The guy didn't want to be there. He didn't want to be a Steeler anymore. He was probably upset about the playing time, which is funny because at the start of the year, when I saw that he lost the starting job to T.J. Watt, J.J. Watt's brother, 
I thought that was interesting. I said, really? James Harrison lost a starting job? I wonder how he's going to react. And, again, we're not in that locker room, so we don't know what exactly went on. But who knows if this was an entire season thing of him complaining, of him groaning, you know, of him trying to use his veteran status as a veteran football player, you know, to try and push his way back onto the depth chart. We don't know what happened in that locker room. But what it sounds like was a guy who's very unhappy to be on the team that he was on. And the Steelers, you know, honored his, you know, um, his wish in letting him go. And the Steelers know they're not dumb. The Steelers know that a team was going to pick him up right away. And they probably knew it was going to be the Patriots. The Patriots defense could definitely use him. They do need some help. And I think Harrison does give him that ego and that, you know, that confidence factor that he could bring to a defense to hype him up and make them feel better about themselves. But, you know, you got to question how many things does he actually know about the Steelers? He, James Harrison has always been one of those players where it's like, hey, what's my job? Okay, I'll go do my job. I don't think Harrison's ever really been that involved in the Steelers' playbook or their defensive plans. Um, so, And again, when you, when you hear a lot of the Steelers players talk, they don't sound too worried that he went over to the Patriots anyways. So to me, again, I'm a fan. If you don't want to be here, there's the door. And I actually respect what the Steelers did. They didn't just keep him there and hold him hostage until the playoffs was over, you know, being worried that he was going to give the team secrets to somebody else. They said, hey, you don't want to be there? We'll let you go then. You know, I, I, I think they should have held him. It's one of those things where it's just worst-case scenario. What does he do? Well, he leaves your team. He goes to the New England Patriots, you know, the team you are going to have to play if you get to the AFC Championship. And you're going to have to play that team on the road. And you never really have the right mindset when you play the New England Patriots on the road. And now you've got one of your former teammates on the opposing team that's told him everything he knows about the team, which whether Harrison has answered the question and he said Bill Belichick has never asked anything about uh, the steel, about my former team to me. And Belichick saying, you know, we're playing the Jets this week. Yeah, that's all correct. But in three weeks' time or so, when the Patriots meet the Pittsburgh Steelers in the AFC Championship, I can bet you Bill Belichick's going to ask James Harrison, you know, can you tell me a little about this or this about the Steelers if, if Belichick doesn't know everything already about the team? And... I think James Harrison's going to look, do I tell him about my former team or do I and try and win a championship and a Super Bowl reign at what could be my last season? Or do I not say a word? I can bet James Harrison's going to say everything, especially if he's got some bad blood with his former team. He's going to be able to talk a little bit more freely. And, you know, when you just take those into consideration, already the Steelers' defense is terrible against the when you still don't know, hey, maybe you should put two guys on Rob Gronkowski because he lit them up when it came to time versing Pittsburgh. But at the end of the day, there's wise decisions and there's moves that just look like they're silly and going to backfire, and this one is one of them that just – there's no positive that comes out with Harrison being released and signing with the number one rival of the Pittsburgh Steelers this season and knowing the Patriots. I, I, there's no positive that comes to that. And when you take a Bill Belichick, the greatest coach, and you see what James Harrison can do, has done, and is, you know he's going to put him in the right position. 
You know he's going to put him in that right spot that Harrison's going to have success. That doesn't mean Harrison's going to play an entire football game. He's probably going to play 10, maybe 15 plays at most. But I guarantee those 10 or 15 plays are going to be successful for the New England Patriots. And it's going to be working in their benefit because they know how to use a player in the right direction. I, I will say this on a, con- a comedic point. Uh, one of the funniest things I saw on this is uh, some people posting, uh, I'm hoping on the AFC Championship game, Harrison rips off his jersey and it's a Steelers shirt under it and hits like Tom Brady with like a chair or something to backfire, just like a WWE heel turn. But... Uh, so that's, that's been one of the funny things I've seen on social media when it comes to this type of thing. But overall, though, there's not really any positives that the Steelers can say when it comes to James Harrison signing with the New England Patriots. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the New York Giants. And, Jose, it never seems like a positive when we talked about the Giants lately. And, you know, we're not going to talk about a positive anyway. But on Tuesday, all pro safety Landon Collins called cornerback Eli Apple a cancer. Uh, and not the July birthday, uh, saying that Apple has checked out and saying if you go to the game on Sunday, Eli was just sitting down on the sideline. That's not what we need right now. Then on Wednesday, the team, which is just yesterday, the team announced Apple will be suspended for Week 17 because a- Apple had some arguments with the coaches after he refused to work with a scouting team and I was like, your thoughts on Eli Apple? Has he shown any maturity since being drafted last season by the Giants? Not at all. And, you know, it's funny because I always questioned um, the move to draft Eli Apple. I always thought it was interesting. The cornerback position wasn't exactly a team need at the time when they drafted him. So, again, it was weird that they, uh, you know, they went that route and drafted this extra cornerback, right? So, if you're a Giants fan, you say, okay, whatever. Maybe he was just a guy that you just you just couldn't pass on. And I don't want to knock the guy because he hasn't been in the league for too long. But from the get-go, you can sort of tell that Eli Apple probably shouldn't have been a first-round pick. He was overrated. You knew he was going to be a bust. But whatever. But again, this kid falls into the classification of, of hey, I'm a first-round pick. Look at me. I deserve the world. And it's like, it doesn't work that way. You still have to work your tail end off and get better every single week, especially when the Giants had to go out and sign Janoris Jenkins, another corner, probably because you weren't good enough. You know, where did you think you were going to fit into the mold here? You know, you had Jenkins, you have a DRC, and then you have Landon Collins at the safety position. Where did where did Apple think he was going to fit in here amongst this group? Uh, to me, that would have been a motivation for me to work harder because if I got three guys who are basically Pro Bowl type cornerbacks or Pro Bowl Pro Bowl type defensive backs. Who am I just to slack off and do nothing? Um, honestly, this is, again, this is a thing where it's like the kid has no maturity, um, you know, no no sense of whatsoever. Uh, you know, he's cursing out guys like Landon Collins or whatever. Meanwhile, Landon Collins is just trying to, you know, look out for him. And kudos to Landon Collins for taking that next step this year and really trying to be a team leader at a young age that he's at. Love Landon Collins. Can't say enough about him. Um, but back to Eli Apple. I mean, yeah, I mean, this is a kid that's shown no maturity since he got here. And he's shown no improvement in his actual football game. I mean, if that's not enough to let this kid go, the Giants just need to admit that they made a mistake here when picking him in the first round and just cut their losses, honestly. So this becomes like one of those situations where, you know, there, there are times where you see the potential, but 
the immaturity is just continuously there. And I'm not even going to – they even asked Eli Apple afterwards about the Landon Collins sentences and all the other stuff. And, you know, the ridiculous sentence that he said in response, it's, it's not going to be beneficial for himself. And when you're a new – a new GM is going to have to take the role. And obviously he's going to have to pick a head coach. And obviously they're going to have a possibly number two or number three draft pick, depending on how the Giants do in Week 17. And most likely go with the quarterback, because I doubt Eli Manning is staying. And then one of the next future things is going to be how to deal with Eli Apple. Because are you going to release him? Are you going to trade with uh, trade him? Are you going to try and fit this immaturity that we continue to see from Eli Apple? Because th- this is silly. An all-pro safety shouldn't be saying this 16 weeks in. A kid who's been playing for two years and with top defensive players all around him should be trying harder than everybody. Should be looking at Collins and trying to learn from Collins. Should be looking at the guys around him and constantly learn and constantly look to be better. Because that's what you're supposed to do if you're a first-round pick. And Collins, in my mind, has the right to say that. He should be calling out Eli Apple because that's an all that is a veteran move in my mind. Because if you do it on the sidelines, maybe it doesn't get done, especially with young kids. Maybe it's not done, and, and we see it so often now in professional sports that people do it through the media in order to try and get a guy to go in the right direction. And less than 24 hours later, Apple's having arguments with his coaches and gets suspended. So obviously, even if we thought, whoa, that came out of nowhere on Eli Apple, Collins is pretty much in the wrong. No, because in 24 hours, Collins just had it confirmed. So this is the silly stuff that shouldn't happen, especially when you talk about a first-round draft pick. And at the end of the day, it's just more problems for a giant team that just when you thought, hey, the season is almost over, there can't be any more damage done. Oh, wait. There's something else. So it, it continues on for the Giants. Only five more days left, and then the Giants will have a top draft pitch, and that's all we'll be focusing on and trying to look back as this season as really, really, really forgetful. Uh, also in the NFL, uh, the NFL decided to change some game times, putting all games with playoff implications at 4.25 p.m. on New Year's Eve. And we heard... Coaches like Harbaugh of the Ravens say, you know, I hope fans didn't have too many plans on on New Year's and that if they do have plans that they try and sell the tickets and that, you know, we try and still fill the stands and, you know, the team is uh, and the fans are there for support. But this is Ronnie pretty much said, and it shows another way of just the NFL not caring. And, And Jose, your thoughts on the game time changes? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously they did it on purpose, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, they did it for the money aspect where it's like, oh, let's start every playoff implication game at the same time. So they go all end around the same time. So people can be scoreboard watching, flipping back and forth between channels, you know, trying to tune into every game. It's basically, it was a way for them to make a, like a media frenzy stand, right? Because if you're watching one game, you're going to have your phone open, maybe watching another one. You're going to have your phone open to a scoreboard update on another one, or maybe you're going to NFL.com to, try and check on another game 
clearly this is what the NFL was trying to do. Now, I understand what Harbaugh is trying to say. Um, you know, again, yeah, New Year's Eve is not a day where people exactly are, you know, are at sporting events 24-7. You know, especially towards the evening, people like to go out, celebrate, have dinner, go get drinks, um, especially, you know, especially in the evening portion. Um, if anything, I think I would have made the game start at 1 o'clock, but sometimes because of the time zone differences, you can't do that. Um, so honestly, they probably should have just left it as is. Um, this is just another example of the NFL trying to milk a little bit more cash as opposed to care about, um, you know, when fans prefer, what time they prefer to come to the game. In my mind, this is terrible. And not because it's like, oh, games are going to end at 7.30, 8 p.m., and I have to watch all that when I still want to have a New Year's Eve plan. No, no. Uh, this is terrible because the NFL is saying, hey, all those one o'clock teams, yeah, yeah, they don't really matter. All, all these four o'clock teams, they're the ones that matter. Watch these. So it's terrible on that standpoint to begin with. But I'm going to use last week as the example. You know what made last week so great? The Dallas Cowboys. Because the Cowboys needed Detroit to lose. Then they needed the Saints, Panthers, or Falcons to go 0-2 to make the playoffs. And they needed what to beat Seattle as well. And what's going on at one point? Well, all of a sudden, the, uh, the Panthers are losing to the Buccaneers. The Saints are beating the Falcons. The Lions are losing with four minutes left. And the Cowboys have not even played yet. With four minutes left, that's all. It's like a, a perfect dream for the Cowboys at the moment. At the end, the Panthers win their football game. The Lions lose and the Falcons lose to the Saints. So they get two out of the three done. And then when it comes to that four o'clock game, the Cowboys lose and their season's over. But at that moment for 1 o'clock games, oh, you can bet every Cowboy fan was dead locked to their TV, especially when there's four minutes left to go in those football games. But you want to know what wouldn't have them dead locked in their TV? When they're losing to Seattle if they were playing at the same time. That's what makes the play, that playoff implications and, and those extra moments, that 1 o'clock game differential, so much better. Because we're looking at it and they're like, oh, well, if Baltimore wins at one, they're in the playoffs. But we're going to make them a four o'clock game. If Tennessee makes it, wins, they're in the playoffs. But we're going to put all these other games at four o'clock as well, even though that the one implication. You can do it the flip way, where it's like, okay, if so-and-so teams like the Bills played and they win, okay, but they still have to wait for their other team. It works out better that way. It makes it interesting. It's already we've seen the results, not, okay, let's flip, let's flip, let's flip, let's flip. Let's just know. And it could easily be done. And this didn't need to get changed over. You want to tell me that there's a play, there's a game between two teams, like if the Falcons would have beat the Saints last week? Yeah, then sure, the Falcons-Panthers game, winner takes the division by all means. That should be a 4 o'clock game. But, but the others? This is a miss in my mind. And the NFL was completely wrong. And they're not even taking any fan consideration when you're talking about it being New Year's Eve. So this, this is very extremely messed up in my mind. 
uh, what the NFL did, and I think they're also missing out on a great storylines that could happen when you take Week 16, for example. It made it great as a Cowboy fan because all those other games are going on at one, and then the Cowboys lose. And not the Cowboys lose, and no one cares about the other games because the Cowboys are losing. So I think they, they looked at it this the completely wrong way at the end of the day. But nevertheless, let's run through a couple games this week because there's still some playoff implications left. And let's start with the Baltimore Ravens versus Cincinnati Bengals. The Ravens, if they win, they make it to the playoffs. Jose, who do you have in this one? Well, I think it's definitely the Ravens game to win. Um, honestly, it's it, to me, like we said, it's 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 there to win two games. And I think they're obviously going to win that game and clinch a playoff spot. They're the best team that's still in the hunt, honestly, for the last playoff spot. Yeah, Baltimore's got the fifth seed. We talked about them two weeks ago when they were eight and six and they were sitting on the outside looking in. And they had the easiest schedule by far, the result. They were the only team to win. They moved on to nine and six while everybody else is eight and seven. They easily get it done here against Cincinnati. I got Baltimore in this one. Kansas City Chiefs, if they can beat the Denver Broncos, they'll clinch the division. Can they do so? Yeah, I think they do. I think last week was a big win um, for the Chiefs. Uh, you know, they, It looks like they're back on track. That's two weeks in a row now that Kareem Hunt has gone off again. I think he's starting to find his groove again. He's got a lot of confidence back in himself. And I just think the Chiefs, what they needed was to put together some consistent football, which they haven't really done towards the second half of the season. So to see them play well two weeks in a row – um, huge win last week. I think the Chiefs get it done against a terrible Broncos team this year, uh, this week. Yeah, the Chiefs are on a three-game win streak. They're nine sits. Um, they're a game up on the Chargers, and this should be an easy game for them. And it's slowly becoming the Chiefs at the beginning of the season. So they're a team that you know everyone's forgotten about because it's been so far of a miss. But they could finish the season strong with a ten and sits record and on a four-game win streak and put themselves. You know, in the right direction uh, before possibly playing the Baltimore Ravens. We got three, eight, and seven teams Tennessee Titans, Los Angeles Chargers, and the Buffalo Bills, all eight and seven. We have the Titans playing the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Chargers are playing the Oakland Raiders, and the Bills playing the Miami Dolphins. So if the Tennessee Titans were to beat the Jaguars, they clinch a playoff spot. If not, then it would be open for the Chargers and Bills, depending on how those two teams do. So first question on it, do the Titans beat the Jacksonville Jaguars to start off Week 17? No, they do not. Um, I think the Jaguars are going to be super motivated to kick out a division rival out of the playoff picture. They already surpassed them for the actual division, so I think the Jacksonville Jaguars are already playing with a chip on their shoulder and I just don't trust the Tennessee Titans when it matters the most in situations like this. You know, it's it, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, can they win the big one? Um, and they haven't proven that they can. Really, this division was theirs to win at the start of the year. They couldn't get it done, whether it's because of injuries or just a lack of play. They just can't get it done when it matters the most. And I don't see them beating a good defensive team in the Jaguars this week. Okay, and with that, you have the Chargers playing the Raiders and the Bills playing the Dolphins, which team, either both or one, win, and who gets into the playoffs in your mind? To me, only one team wins, Nick, and I'm telling you, it's going to be the Los Angeles Chargers. The Chargers are going to go 9-7. and seven. I have the Bills losing to the Dolphins. I think the Dolphins are going to be super motivated on defense. 
again, the stop of division rival. And I think the Chargers, who I had who I had in the beginning of the year, nowhere sniffing the playoffs, is going to go 9-7 and seven into the first round. So I've, I actually have the same thing. You, you take the Tennessee Titans. They're 0-3. They, they've lost their last three games in a row. So, uh, yes, they're 4-1 against the division, but so is the Jacksonville Jaguars. And although you were saying, oh, well, the Jaguars don't have anything to play for, well, sure they do. It's, it's a matter of who you want to play, technically, because if the Tennessee Titans were to win, then they're going to play the Jacksonville Jaguars most likely in the first round of the playoffs. So it is a big factor to them, and I think the Jaguars match up pretty well no matter which team they play. But at the end of the day, they should be able to beat Tennessee. Tennessee has struggled so much of late. And do I think Buffalo can beat the Dolphins? Of course. But do I also think the Chargers beat the Raiders? Yes, as well, and that's where the Chargers have the edge over the Bills, and they're going to be able to clinch the playoff, make the playoffs at nine and seven, provided the Titans lose their football game, which is remarkable to say. When week five, I went to one NFL game this season. It was the zero and four Giants against the zero and four Chargers, and there's a possibility one of those teams has a chance of making the playoffs after starting zero and four. And I mean, that's incredible when you consider that factor. The Falcons versus the Carolina Panthers. Now, uh, there's some playoff implications before that with the other NFC South team with the Saints. So, the Saints, will they beat the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to clinch the NFC South? Yeah, I think they will. I think the Saints will will beat the Buccaneers. Uh, um, I just, I don't see the Panthers being as motivated uh, going into this game. I know the division's still on the line, technically, but I think the Falcons have more to play for. So because the Falcons are going to beat the Panthers, I have the Saints being able to cruise past the Buccaneers, who, again, have been really disappointing this season. Yeah, again, uh, this is a Saints team that got, uh, that's a 4 o'clock game when it should be a 1 o'clock game, and there shouldn't be a really a push on the Carolina Panthers to have to play at the same time as it. And, you know, come the third quarter, we could see the Saints up by, like, 20 at that point. I don't think the Panthers are going to look at the game and say, hey, you know, we kind of need to still win this game. They're just going to look at it and say, hey, you know, time to put some backups in at this point because the Saints have clinched this division. Um, With that in mind, though, the Falcons play the Panthers. Can the Falcons pick up the win to uh, to get into the playoffs? Yeah, again, I have the Falcons uh, picking up that win. Again, I just don't see the Panthers being as motivated. They're already in the playoffs. They know they're going to be in it. They don't have to worry about anything. And, again, I still think the Panthers are a weird team. I don't trust them fully going into the playoffs. But I think the Falcons are going to be super motivated knowing that a win or a, I mean, a loss can really mess up their season. And they're looking for redemption after what happened last year in the Super Bowl. So for the Falcons, if they don't make the playoffs, it's going to be pretty devastating. So I have them winning that game to get in. Yeah, Carolina, I'm, I'm sure, wants to go into this game knowing the fact that they could eliminate the Atlanta Falcons, that they could win the, uh, the division, but they still need – the Saints to lose in that factor, and it puts them in a tough scenario. And it's really tough to see uh, any game where the Saints and Butts are in an extremely close game that keeps the Panthers starters on the field for four quarters. That, that's the end result. Because if the Saints are up by a ton, the, the, Falcon, the Falcons are going to win that game. Because the Panthers are not going to look at this as it's so important to eliminate the team that we won't see until possibly the NFC Championship if a five seed plays a six seed. That's not their mindset. Their mindset will be stay healthy for the playoffs. 
don't risk injury. There's no reason to go at this when we don't have to. And I think with that, the Falcons are going to be able to beat the Panthers because it's a game that won't matter to the team. And the only possibility that... And the only factor is if you want to eliminate the Falcons. And I think Seattle at 9 sits it's on the outside looking in because the Falcons should be able to win their game and there shouldn't be much of a factor whether Seattle wins or loses in that uh, way. One of the final thoughts, though. Uh, the Tetsons play the Colts at 1 p.m. I, I know it's not going to be a, a game of much factors, but winner gets the 4-6 to sit seed, depending on how other teams do, while the loser will essentially get the third seed, depending on how the Giants do. Uh, however, the Browns have the Tetsons' first pick, so the Browns could either be looking at having the number one pick and the number three pick, or the number one and possibly a second pick in the first round in the top five or just outside the top five. I was like, this could be a pretty game-changing future for the Browns. That I think Browns fans, I mean, it's a tough season and all. They're 0-15 right now, and it doesn't look like it's going to get any better. Uh, but it certainly has a bright spot come the NFL draft. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know it feels like we say that every year, but this year it seems like the Browns seem to have a direction in what they want to do. Um, and hey, the more picks you get, the better. I mean, the Browns aren't anywhere close to contending. Um, so it, it actually gives them a little bit of a better situation because remember the joke last year was that, oh, they shouldn't pick a QB with their first pick. They ended up picking it with the second one they had in the second round. So again, I feel like I feel like the Browns are going to want another quarterback not because Kaiser is a, is a bust or anything, but it's always good to have two young QBs competing against each other, so to speak, and see who really wants it, since Kaiser is still young. So, But what this does, though, is that it allows the Browns to look for another defensive piece or an offensive piece, or with the first pick, basically pick the best player available and have that second pick coming up, whether it's in the top five or not, to say, okay, what can we afford to put this pick on, so to speak? Yeah, this is one of those situations where just take best-case scenario. The Colts beat the Tetsons. The Tetsons hit the third spot, and the Browns are looking at the number one and the number three pick in the draft. I, just as you said it, if you can't pick a difference between quarterbacks, let's say you have it down to two, right? You don't have to take it with the first pick. You can take what other piece you want with the first pick, essentially. You can take anything. That way, if the Giants are actually going to stick with Eli Manning and don't want a quarterback, you can still get the quarterback you want at three, and you still get whatever extra piece you need, even if you don't go quarterback because this draft is so QB heavy. You can go with two uh, two pieces, and then you're adding two defense uh, defensive linemen, or you're adding a cornerback and a safety, or you're adding... Two, two offensive linemen on a team that already has two great running backs, has a strong wide receiver, drafted a tight end in the first round last season. Josh Gordon's there, so they have plenty of offensive pieces. Yes, they need a quarterback. I, I expect the Browns to draft a quarterback, but that second piece, whether you're going offensive lineman or a defensive player, you just added two phenomenal players to your 22-man starting roster when you consider 11 on offense, 11 on defense. And I, and that's something that, for a lot of fans, that can be huge. For a lot of teams, that can be huge. For a lot of salary reasons, that can be big. 
I don't know many players that are going to sign big money with Cleveland, but if you pay them a lot of money, I'm sure they'll come. So I think it opens a lot of door possibilities for the Cleveland Browns. But it also depends on you know, how well uh, do the Colts beat the Tetsons or you're, you're sitting with the sit seed and then it's, you know, you're still getting a phenomenal piece. But that uh, weight on a quarterback I don't think is a possibility at that point. Then you're number one if you need a quarterback. You're definitely going quarterback. As always, with Sarasso and the Beard Podcast, we do two segments that are always a ton of fun. Beard back, where we look back in sports history, and today being December 28th, we're looking back on that day. And in 1958, the Baltimore Colts beat the New York Giants 23-17 to in the first ever sudden death overtime game in NFL history. 17 future members of the Pro Football Hall of Fame were involved in that game as, quotes, one of the greatest games ever played between two teams. In 1975, the term Hail Mary would be created with 32 seconds left in the NFC Divisional Playoff game. The Cowboys quarterback, Roger Starback, throws a desperate 50-yard winning touchdown pass to Drew Pearson to defeat the Vikings. And the Hail Mary play is born in 1975. So that was on December 28th. And uh, as well, in 2008, we just spoke about the Cleveland Browns. They have a chance of being 0-16 if they lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, in 2008, the Detroit Lions finished the season 0-16 with a 31-21 loss to the Green Bay Packers. The first time in National Football League history that a team went winless in a 16-game season but it still may have a friend in mind with the Cleveland Browns. And following Beardback is our Dude and Dunce of the Week. And my Dude of the Week, I'm giving it to last night's winner from the Minnesota Timberwolves, Jimmy Butler, 39 points, 5 assists, 4 rebounds, including scoring 12 points in overtime to give the Timberwolves a 128-125 to overtime win as Minnesota wins their fifth game in a row. And, Jose, who is our Dunce of the Week? Our Dunce of the Week is the Jacksonville Jaguar fans. Yes, the fans are the Dunce of the Week, the entire Jaguar nation. Why? Because over the Christmas holiday break, they sent a bunch of trash cans over to the defensive player, Jalvanius Clowney, from the Houston Texans. Clowney later turned that into a positive by filling the trash cans up with a bunch of Christmas gifts and delivering them to kids and families who needed them. But by the Jaguar fans, come on now. You're making the playoffs once in the past, what, 20 years? This probably hasn't been that long. But still, you know, learn how to act, man. I mean, you, you, you won one division title. Don't act like you've ran off 14 straight. Uh, before you start trash talking. Also, earlier this year, the Jaguar fans got away with not being a two-time dunce because we didn't report a, we didn't record a podcast that week. But that week that they threw trash at one of the Seahawks players going up the tunnel, and then when he confronted them, they did nothing about it. That could have been a possible two-time dunce of the week. So you know what? It's it's our show, Nick. We can do whatever we want. So for that, I'm handing out a double dunce of the week to Jaguar fans. Learn how to act when you win. All righty, we gave him a double dunce to the <laughs> double down on that one. And we also probably just lost all of our fan base in the state of Florida. But so be it. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where uh, we had a lot of issues when it came with – it reminds me of the Toronto Blue Jay fans. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah immediately when you think of it, the, the playoff games and how they went crazy 
and the team trying to calm down the fans from throwing stuff on the field, you just can't do it. There's player safety, there, and there's a point where you sh- you just cannot do certain things. Throwing stuff at players is just an immediately no. And, you know, it's all fun and games when you send trash cans and a great good in heart on how to work with it. Uh, but now certainly the Jaguars finish off with a double whammy of Jacksonville Jaguar fans finish off with a double whammy of dunce of the week as Jimmy Butler pits up his first dude of the week on Sarasso and the Beard. Our next podcast episode, episode 19, it's better to be out after the new year. So happy new year to everybody. And uh, as a fun final thought, Jose, any new year's resolutions on your list? Yeah, you know, hit the gym, pump up the guns a little bit more. Nah, um, I don't know. I mean, to me, news resolutions are so hard because everybody gets rid of them by February anyway. So, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things where it's weird. How about watch more sports? <laughs> I think that one I could do successfully. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go with hit the gym or uh, get huge. I'm going to try and work out occasionally, but uh, cut down on my sugar as well. I always love chocolate and candy. You've been saying that for about like half a year now. How's yeah, that diet going, by and, the way? And the no two, sugar diet. And for two plus months, I was strong on it, so I'm going back <laughs> to uh, cutting it down to let's try and do like once a week where I just destroy like boxes of cookies, but the other six days I'll stay clean. Uh, so that will be the uh, the new plan for me as well. To everybody, a happy new year. We'll see you on episode 19 where Sarasen Beard will start off its 2018 year. Of course, we'll be talking about the college football playoffs and the NFL playoffs when we return next week. But to everybody, happy new year, and thank you for listening to Sarasen Beard podcast, episode 18.